this is Jonathan Marks, and welcome to the On Your Marks Book Review podcast. In the week just past, I read the book Range, How Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World, written by David Epstein and published in 2019. Epstein's previous book, The Sports Gene, tackles the thorny problem of nature versus nurture in the sports arena. I haven't read that one, but in reading some reviews of his first book, it would seem Range is a fantastic follow-on study. In fact, he starts Range with a very powerful sports story that so beautifully illustrates his central thesis. In the introduction called Tiger vs. Roger, Epstein makes, and I think challenges even, his own thesis by detailing how Tiger Woods' singular focus on golf led to his great success, but then shows how Roger Federer traversed across a large plane of sports activities, including basketball, handball, tennis, table tennis, badminton and soccer, before selecting tennis as his primary sport. What Tiger Woods was involved in was deliberate practice. What Roger Federer was doing was sampling. Epstein's thesis, made not just early in the book but on the cover of the book, is that in a hyper-specialized world, generalists are more likely to succeed. He does nothing in the book to expand on this thesis, but does spend 12 chapters building a very convincing case, drawing on a wide range of research, data and case examples to reinforce his points and view. Let me say that the book is convincing, and the diversity of sources and the provenance of this research will be hard to argue with. The early chapters make the point that the world is complex, or wicked in the language that Epstein uses and that while certain domain specializations will be and are useful, that's not always the case. He uses chess as an early example. Chess is, according to one grandmaster, 99% tactics. And tactics are, and I quote, short combinations of moves that players use to get an immediate advantage on the board, end quote. Strategy, on the other hand, is more of a big-picture approach, essentially managing the little battles to win the war or the game. This is, of course, why computers are so good at chess. Once you've mastered the tactics, you essentially win the game. But tactics are all that one gets good at. In order to prove this point, researchers did the following. They placed a chess grandmaster at a street-side cafe table in front of a chessboard. They then drove a truck past with a chessboard printed on the side of the truck with all 28 pieces in mid-game position. With only three seconds of viewing, the grandmaster could perfectly recreate the board. What appears to be a photographic memory is in fact what is called chunking. The brain of an experienced chess player groups pieces together based upon, of course, the rules of the game. The board is not 28 pieces, but in this case, five different chunks that indicate how the game was progressing. To test this point further, the truck drives past the Grandmaster a second time, showing the other side of the truck, on which are 28 pieces randomly placed on the board and not consistent with a regular chess game. Now the Grandmaster was no more accurate than the general population. What is illustrated according to the research is that chess, like many other environments, including sport, is what is called a kind learning environment. It has rules and processes which are codified, and once you're good at these, you get good at the game. However, says Epstein, this approach is not as useful for what is called Martian tennis. Martian tennis is a metaphor for a game where you can see the players on the court with rackets and balls, but you simply don't know the rules. You must develop these rules based upon the play of the game, and they are subject to change without notice. This, says Epstein, is the kind of world we live in. 
one characterized by wicked problems that are not easily solved from a kind learning environment. Epstein goes on to explain the complexity of the world in which we now live and shows that narrow vocational training for jobs that probably won't exist in the future are a huge problem, as many students and graduates acquire the tools for, for instance, a single discipline. What emerges through each successive chapter of the book is how success and even greatness emerges from a random path and not from a well-defined path decided years or even decades before. There are many examples in the book and examples across a wide range of disciplines, but one story was a profound revelation for me and is such a perfect example of Epstein's thesis that I'm going to try and recreate the story here. In the book, it's a very long section in one of the chapters and hopefully I've done a fair job of parsing it below. Here goes. The boy's mother appreciated music and art, but when the boy tried to freehand sketch the family cat, he proved so deficient that he destroyed the picture and refused to try again. He would spend his time when not in school just looking at things, wandering for hours through nature. He was obsessed with beetles and collected and labelled each using the correct Latin species name. He attended a good school, doing well, but despite efforts from the celebrity art teacher, he was never considered artistic. He did find his niche in selling art, joining an uncle in his very successful art dealership. He spent time in Paris and London, and despite his work ethic, was in fact dismissed from the job. He subsequently became a school teacher, and then decided to become a missionary to South America. His parents quickly arranged a job for him as a bookstore clerk. He loved books and loved to read, and spent hours at the store reading till the early hours of the morning. But still he floundered and struggled to find his niche. He heard a rousing sermon and decided he would become a pastor. With this too he struggled, confiding in a letter to his brother that he felt like a caged bird, bagging his head against the bars of the cage, and then the cage just stays there, making his suffering ever greater. He had been a student, an art dealer, a teacher, a bookseller, a prospective pastor, and after each promising start he had failed spectacularly at every path he took. His brother suggested carpentry. His sister thought he might make a good baker. He went back to drawing and watercolours and was told by his former art dealer boss, and I quote, Of one thing I am sure, you are no artist. You simply started too late. End quote. One day, in exasperation, he dragged an easel and oil paints out to a sand dune in the middle of a storm. He ran in and out of cover, slapping paint on the canvas. He squeezed paint directly from the tube onto the canvas. More than a century later, his biographers would say on that day he made an astonishing discovery. He could paint. I am speaking, of course, of Vincent van Gogh, whose works adjusted for inflation have sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. The story is the near-perfect illustration of the thesis of range. In a more modern challenge to the belief that direction is needed from a young age, the famed investor and founder of Y Combinator, a startup incubator, Paul Graham, said the following. And I quote, It might seem that nothing would be easier than deciding what you like, but it turns out to be hard, partly because it's hard to get an accurate picture of most jobs. Most of the work I've done in the last 10 years didn't exist when I was in high school. In such a world, it's not a good idea to have fixed plans. And yet every May, speakers all over the country fire up the standard graduation speech, the theme of which is, don't give up on your dreams. I know what they mean, but this is a bad idea, and badly put, because it implies you're supposed to be bound by some plan you made early on. 
The computer world has a name for this. It's called premature optimization. Instead of working back from a goal, work forward from promising situations. This is what most people actually do anyway. In the graduation speech approach, you decide where you want to be in 20 years and then ask, well, what should I do to get there now? I propose instead that you don't commit to anything in the future, but look at the options available now and choose those which will give you the most promising range of options afterwards. End quote. The book continues thus, with one fascinating example after the next, building a convincing argument that as the world is changing, the need for us to let go of previous ideas of building an education system that favours the generalist and of allowing for varied experience to emerge over time is likely to not only lead to personal success, but dare I even suggest our salvation as a planet. This book is absolutely essential reading, not only for those concerned with their place and role in the world, but also for those of us concerned with what our future might look like. I strongly encourage buying this book and reading it when you get a chance during the holidays coming up. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. In the week ahead, I'm reading the book The Upstarts by Brad Stone. The book examines how Uber and Airbnb and many other companies in the new Silicon Valley are changing our world. Please do look out for that review next Tuesday. And for the rest, I wish you an absolutely wonderful week ahead. (music) 